Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. My good friend, Paul Stippett, brings us a two-part message series about the key practices of Jesus. In this first installment, Paul makes the case that if you're going to understand who you're supposed to be in this life, it's important to understand whose you are in the first place. church. Micah 6, 8 tells us this. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So with that, Paul Stippick. Even for reading that scripture, before we take one more step forward, let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Thank you for preparing my heart for this message, God. And I thank you for already what you have done in the hearts and minds and souls of those in this room and for the ones that will be watching this message later. God, I I just thank you so unbelievably much for who you are, for what you've done, for who you created us to be, for whose we are. God, I pray that we would learn what it is to really image you and live as you have called us to live I thank you so much for what you're doing today, God. And most importantly, I pray that everything that I say and everything that I do would be quickly forgotten. But as you speak through me and move through me, that is what will be remembered. Amen. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Paul Stippick, and it is a privilege and honor to be back with you guys again. I always love coming back home here to this church and catching up before and after services and really just getting a moment to hang out. And spoiler alert, I'm going to be with you this Sunday and also next Sunday as well. So I know some of you are thinking, thank you, Jesus. I can finally sleep in on a Sunday. I don't have to worry about it because Pastor Steve is not here. But please don't do that. Please come back because this is a two-part series. This is the practices of Jesus, and today is all foundation. Today is building up for everything what we're going to be talking about next week. And so without further ado, let's jump right into Scripture. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. But before we, want, before we actually read these, I want to give a little bit of context for where we find ourselves in Scriptures. It's the very beginning. And so what we see is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're creating everything. They've separated the heavens from the waters. They've created this expanse. And if we were there, it would be amazing to see them open up their mouth, and then light would shoot forth. And as they continue to speak, and as they continue to create, we'd see this massive expanse come out of nothing and nowhere. And then all of a sudden, we'd see trees and bushes and mountains and valleys and rivers and marshes and everything start to swarm all over this earth. And then if we were there, we'd also see things start to pop in the sky and and over the land and under the ground and in the waters, and I'm sure it would be something amazing to be there in this moment where we feel feel a nice, cool breeze come through, and then in an instant, everything springs forth with life. And all of that is good, and all of that is amazing, but something really strange happens. And we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. This is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have just created all this, and all of a sudden, they stop, they pause, And they have a conversation amongst themselves, this triune God who is three in one. I know, mind-blowing. That's for another another Sunday. 
But verse 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man. And by the way, that is the Greek word Adam, which is a version of man and woman. So men, get off your high horse. This is actually speaking God made both men and female in the very beginning. In our image, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. The very first point for today that we all need to understand and realize is this, that we are image bearers of the Trinity. We are image bearers of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is amazing. This is the God who created everything. This is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This is Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi. This is everything. We are created in His image. You are image bearers. And whether you like it or not, every single person in this room Every single person outside of this room bears the image of their creator. But they don't believe what I believe. They don't talk like they talk. They don't believe in marriage how I believe in marriage. They don't believe that this side of the aisle is actually over, you know, better than this side of the aisle. Guys, regardless of all that stuff, they bear the image of their creator. They may not be imaging God as he'd want them to image. Regardless, they bear the image of the Trinity, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But let's continue to build this foundation of who we are. And to to do that, we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 6. This is Moses on Mount Sinai, and this is God speaking to him. And it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The second point for today about who we are is this. We are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yeah, Paul, I I get that, but God called the Israelites to be that. Didn't you kind of catch that at the, the end of verse 6 there? Oh, I did. But here's the truth of the matter. That God... From the very beginning of time, after sin entered to creation, his sole purpose was for us to image him, was to bring and restore everything back to good and be bringing everyone into the family. So when God is speaking to the Israelites here, he's speaking to you and I today because he may have started with a chosen nation, but that nation is bringing in everyone to make everyone fall under the right rule and reign of God, to restore all things back to good and bring everyone into the family. So you and I, as Christ's followers, are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We're image bearers of the Trinity, and we are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and to image God in the most amazing of ways by loving those around us. But let's continue to move on. Psalms chapter 139. Verses 13 through 18, and I love these verses. These are probably some of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible. And if you've heard me speak before, I guarantee you've heard me talk about these verses because there's something that I so easily forget and so quickly forget, and there's something that I guarantee you also forget as well. Because if we really believed and understood and lived these scriptures, we would be treating the people next to us differently. Whether they look, smell, act, whatever, differently than us, we would be treating them with love, with kindness. 
We would be treating them as fellow image bearers of God, and we would be loving them. But let's read this. Psalm chapter 139, verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Do you see it? That we were formed and knitted together in our mother's womb. The third point for today is we are intentionally and purposefully made by God, who is the creator of all things, you are intentionally and purposefully created. Let me say it a different way. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You are intentionally and purposefully made. And I skipped over this verse in the beginning because I wanted to pair it with Psalms 139. We see in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 31, after God created everything else, the land, the moon, the stars, all that stuff, he said it was good. But he says something different after he created us. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. So imagine with me, you're in your mother's womb, and God is literally knitting you together. He is talking about the days before you. He is whispering these amazing thoughts that if you really understood how awesome they were, your mind would explode with joy, with bliss, and with beauty. And those thoughts that are so amazing, they outnumber the grains of sand in this world. And just before he allows you to come into this world, he leans in close. And he says, you are very good. Now go and image me. We are made in the image of the Trinity. We are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we are purposefully and intentionally made. But I have a question for you. All of that's good. All of that, who we are, is good. But what do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see someone who is dashing, ravishing, beautiful, smart, witty, winsome? I see a lot of head shaking, absolutely. That's what a lot of you are. Or do you see the lies of the enemy, the person who's got a few too many pounds and voice who cracks when you try to sing those lovely high notes that I don't know how Jeff reaches, but do you, do you start to believe the lies that people talk about you and, you know what, I, I, I am... I'm not liked by anyone. I don't have any friends. You know, I, I lie a little bit too much. I drink too much. I, I'm, a, I'm addicted to pornography and, and so many other things. God, I, I, I'm, I'm worthless. Do you believe those lies? And those lies, they may have bits and pieces of you, but they are not the sum total of who you are because you were intentionally and purposely made. You are made in the, tr the image of the Trinity. We are called to be this kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So this 
This foundation of who we are, in all honesty, it is so easily cracked. This foundation is so easily disturbed. But there's one foundation, because we're not done today, there's one foundation that is unshakable, that will not crack, that will not move. And that is the foundation of whose we are. So let's look at this. What does God say about himself? Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. This is once again God talking to Moses on Mount Sinai. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The fourth point for today, but the first point about whose we are is this. God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Understand what this means. Peter says it really well in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where he says, you know why the Lord hasn't come? It's not because he's lazy. It's not because he doesn't want to. It's not that he's sitting there twiddling his thumbs. It's because he wishes that none should perish. He is slow to anger, but do not confuse that with something else. He is a just God. He is a very just God, and we have to pay for our sins. He took the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross, and for those of us who believe in him, that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave three days later, we will have life eternal. But we still have to pay for our consequences, which is why it talks about in verse 7, the sins of these fathers could visit to the children's, to the children's, to the third and the fourth generation. So that's why he also allows us to be a community of believers so that we could come alongside each other and we could fight for each other, fight with each other. We could love each other and say, yeah, I know you're dealing with this addiction. Yeah, I know you're dealing with this in your marriage. Yeah, I know you're dealing with this personally, but I love you. You are an image bearer of Christ. You are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember, God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He desperately loves you. So in these verses, we see a God that is slow to anger. But I love this. As, as I was preparing for this message, there was a book that came to mind. It's by Dane Ortland. We're going to throw up a quote in just a moment here, but it's called Gentle and Lowly. By the way, side note, you need to get the book. It's called Gentle and Lowly, and it is unbelievable how it dives into God and his love for us and his love for the sinner. It is unbelievable. But he references these, these verses, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, that first part, it says, keeping steadfast love for the thousands. He said that could equally be translated to this, keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation, which perfectly pairs with Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He further explains this. We're going to throw the quote up here that Dan Ortland says. It's not that on the thousand and first generation, God's love stops. No, 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 no. What God is saying in these verses is this. There is no termination date on my commitment to you. You can't get rid of my grace to you. You can't outrun my mercy. You can't evade my goodness. My heart is set on you. We sin, and it can go to the third and the fourth generation, but did you miss the scriptures? Because I hope you didn't. 
The scripture said he loves us to the thousandth generation. He loves us immeasurably more than we could ever sin, than we could ever fail, than we could ever do anything. God's love outruns and outpaces anything that we could ever do. So let's continue to build on this foundation of whose we are. And this is Jesus speaking about himself, the triune God. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The fifth point for today and the second point about whose we are is this. God is gentle and lowly. And this word lowly, it's a Greek word called tapenos, and it also is equally translated to humble. So God is gentle and lowly. God is gentle and humble. This is a picture of a father who is getting down on his knees and he's saying, hey, 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 I want you to put down your burden. I want you to put down your yoke and I want you to take on my burden and my yoke for it is light and it is easy. I love you. I want you to choose me. I want to love you immeasurably more than you could ever know. Take on my burden, take on my yoke and I'm going to carry it with you. This is a God who runs toward us, not a God who runs away from us. This is a God who is relentless at dispensing his love, his mercy, and grace upon us. But to be honest, when I look at the mirror, I don't all the time see a father who is rushing to be relentless with my love and my grace towards my kids or towards my wife or towards those in my community. And in fact, some of you still have been hung up on this mirror saying, yeah, but Paul, you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my addictions. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know what I've said. Paul, you don't know. You don't know me. That's right. I don't know your life story. And I don't know the lies that you're choosing to believe. But y'all, we're not the children of the father of lies. We're the children of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, where there are heavenly beings who have always been, who are doing it now, and will forever be saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that shouting of holy, holy, holy does not do justice and glory and honor even though they are doing it for lifetimes upon lifetimes upon lifetimes. This God, this amazing God, this all-consuming, all-powerful, this just God, this one who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who is gentle and lowly and humble, this is the God whose children we are. If we find ourselves in Christ and we graft ourselves into his vine by accepting him as our Lord and Savior, this is whose we are. And I want to continue to dive into this love for us. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. And we see God once again speaking about his love towards you and towards me. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba as in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. 
I'll bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God has an absolutely relentless love for you and for me. And as we dive further into this idea that God is love, let's look at 1 John chapter 14, sorry, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And this is what it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love God has for us. By the way, have you actually come to know and believe the love that God has for you? Let's continue on. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. The sixth point, the final point for today, but the third point about whose we are is this. God is love, and his love will never, ever, ever to infinity end. God is love. That's not a part of who he is. That is who he is, and it's who he says he is. He is this unshakable, unbreakable foundation. So if you're not looking at your reflection in light of the cross, you're missing something. So let's do a little bit of a recap. Who, who are we? first thing is, we are image bearers of the Trinity. We are a kingdom of priests. We are called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We are intentionally and purposefully made by God, who is the creator of all things. Whose are we? We are God, the King of kings. And this is what he says about himself. God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is gentle and lowly. He's gentle and humble. God is love, and his love will never run out. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And what does the end mean? It means this. Where he was betrayed by one of his best friends, by someone that he would have considered his brother, someone that did life with him for years, who saw him perform many amazing miracles and wonders, and who also himself performed amazing miracles and wonders, where Jesus was eventually led for miles from one trial to another, back to the original one, and eventually convicted of crimes that he was not due. And what they did was they flogged him, and this isn't a gentle Lashing. This is a brutal whipping where this whip would have leather straps at the end of it. And yes, they would sting absolutely when they slapped against his back. But some of these leather straps at the end of them would have bone and broken glass and, and shards of different things so that when they would hit the skin, they would latch on. And as they pulled away, it would rip away flesh, sinew, and muscle. And it wasn't just once, but it was again 
and again and again and again as his blood is splattering over those nearby and on the floor that is leaking down his back. They eventually shove him to the ground, put a purple robe around him and slam a crown of thorns on his head toward these thorns rip into his flesh. And as his face is then covered in blood and everything is just pooling around him, they try to get him to carry this rough log that was to be his cross, but he couldn't do it. He was already going in and out of shock, and he couldn't bear the weight of that, and so they're eventually dragging him through the streets as I'm sure his feet and his legs are dragging, and people are mocking and spitting and trying to hit him. And they eventually throw him on the ground, put his hands on this wooden log, and nail his hands to it. And they attach it and fix it, and they eventually nail his feet to this cross, and they lift him up. And this is where one of the other worst parts of the crucifixion takes place because it was a death designed to suffocate you. And he's literally having to push up on his feet that are nailed to the cross, causing immense pain just to breathe in. And in these moments of trying to breathe, he utters these amazing words. And as he chokes them out, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So what does all this mean? Who we are, whose we are, to image God, what does it mean? We're going to throw up this one quote. It's from an author called Abraham Verghese and his book, The Covenant of Water. It was one that I was reading while I was doing this, and it was just a pleasure read. And this quote is in relation to doctors, but I thought it was incredibly befitting for today in this message. It says, love the sick, each and every one, as if they were your own. And I think that pairs incredibly well with the verse we started out with at the top, Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly and love kindness and walk humbly with your Lord. So what are we supposed to do with this today? We're supposed to love everyone. The person who doesn't look like you, sound like you, talk like you, smell like you, believe like you, dress like you, think like you. We're supposed to love them, each and every single one, as if they were our own, to the end.